You're listening to Live with the League, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. All righty, it looks like we're ready to go. Well, so we'll go ahead and get started. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt Bach, Assistant Director of Strategic Communications for the Michigan Municipal League. And uh, once again, joined here by our Lansing team. Um, and today we have three guests. So we're going to jump right into it. Um, please, if you have questions for any of our guests, uh, please post your comments in the Q&A portion. That way we can track them a little easier in the Q&A portion of this uh, conversation. And uh, we'll, we'll have a couple of people monitoring those. Uh, and then we'll ask those questions as they come in the best we can. So I wanted to start right off here with uh, our three guests today are Kelly Rose uh, with MISHTA, uh, Shanna Dreheim with the, the Michigan Municipal League, and then Rod Taylor from the Michigan Department of Treasury. So we're gonna start with Kelly today. Kelly, thank you for joining us. Um, we sure, wanted to have Kelly, you. yeah, thank you. Uh, we wanted to have Kelly come on and talk about a program that they're doing, uh, as you may have seen uh, recently, um, uh, the moratorium on uh, uh, evictions with uh, renters has been lifted during COVID. They had a moratorium saying you couldn't evict people. Now they can, but for a long time now, Mishta has had a program to provide rental assistance and other assistance to people that may need it. So Kelly, we just wanted to have you come on and Jen, you can join us as well because Jen's very involved with housing at, at different levels at the state. So uh, tell us a little bit about what the program is called and how it's how it's able out there to able to help people. Sure, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, so we have the COVID Emergency Rental Assistance Program, which we typically like to throw everything in acronyms and call it SARA. Uh, it's just a lot quicker and easier, rolls off the tongue. Um, so you might hear that word tossed about in different uh, you know, circles related to rental assistance and utility assistance. Uh, so the SARA program can help um, renters that are below 80% of area median income that have had a COVID-related economic hardship. So that could be unemployment, um, reduced income, increased expenses uh, due to COVID or other financial hardships to get caught up on their rent and utilities. Um, so the program can pay for up to 15 months of rent and utility assistance and both landlords and tenants can initiate this process. So we have an online application process. You can go to michigan.gov slash Sarah, C-E-R-A, um, to learn more about the program. Um, and that's how people really access the online application through our green apply now button. Uh, so either the tenant or the landlord can initiate the application process. And But if a landlord um, opts out of the program, we can fund the tenant directly. So, um, so far, we've funded, uh, approved almost $192 million um, in the wow. last five months uh, for over 29,000 households. So uh, the program has been up and running, uh, started March 15th after the funds were appropriated by the state legislature. And, uh, you know, so almost 30,000 households assisted so far, but we know time is of the essence, especially now with the CDC eviction moratorium um, not being in place anymore. Um, it makes it um, you know, a much, much more of a harsh reality for some families out there that they could be evicted. Um, so we're really uh, trying to make sure that through all of our local nonprofits that are administering the program, uh, that we're really getting the word out and making sure that tenants and landlords know that this program exists, um, because it's really beneficial for both parties. And, and as you know, Kelly, we have a lot of uh, managers and mayors and council members on this call today representing cities. What are some of the things like maybe local government leaders can do to let people know about this program? 
Yes, um, so we have some resources up on our website. So again, it's michigan.gov slash Sarah. Um, so there's a marketing toolkit uh, that's up there that has a couple different versions of flyers um, that can be distributed to raise awareness. And our Sarah contact list has all of our service providers listed county by county that are administering the program. So if you haven't already touched base with the agency um, in your area that's administering the program, we really would love it if you would reach out uh, to be able to talk one-on-one -on -one with them about what the local needs are looking like in terms of increasing uh, outreach into community, you know, trying to find those pockets that are you know, the hardest to serve, hardest to reach areas um, to make sure that people are finding, finding out about this program and to really just kind of brainstorm about you know, what have they already done in terms of outreach efforts and marketing efforts and you know, what, what the local municipalities could do to really just you know, turn up the volume on that to make sure that people are aware of the program. Okay, go ahead, Jen. Kelly, I think a, an interest to our members would be the utility assistance, since we do have some uh, members with public utilities. Could you speak to that just a little bit? Sure. So the Sarah program can cover uh, electricity, heat, any type. So any type of home heating, water, sewer, and trash. Um, and um, we've broken down the the benefit based off of household size. Uh, so for example, a three-person household um, can get up to $2,000 of utility assistance across all of those types, um, but then they can also get an extra $500, so up to $2,500 um, if they're in the lower income group under 80% AMI and have you know, up you know, $2,500 or more in arrearages. Um, so we really, uh, right now about 15% of our funds are getting used towards utilities. And we definitely want you to reach out. That's another reason to reach out to that local provider because they're the ones who are actually cutting the checks um, to try to make sure that that's an efficient process um, dealing with you know, the local municipalities around water or sewer or those, you know, um, those utility types that sometimes are delivered by a township or, um, or local municipality um, to really just make sure you're touching base with how is that process going? Are there any things that could be improved upon? Um, really just to make sure that people are knowing, knowing about it. And then it's an efficient process for the municipality as well as the service agency. Okay. And, and you kind of touched on this, I think, in this question we just got. Do you know if the target population would be residents who are behind in their rent? Thinking back to mortgage assistance when homeowners had to be several months behind before they qualified for certain programs. Um, yes, yeah, so they do need to be, be behind on either their rent or their utilities. So really just to show that there's housing instability within the family to be behind on one or the other. They don't have to be many months behind, though. They could literally be one month behind on either of those bills and um, be eligible for the program. And so if someone is behind on their uh, rent, you know, say by two months, they can get that two months of arrears, and then they can also get three months of future rental assistance right away. And then they can reapply to get additional three-month increments of rental assistance. Um, so this really can be used as sort of a longer term, you know, bridge, as long as they stay underneath that 80% AMI um, income cap, we can continue to serve them um, to really increase that housing stability and be able to take away the anxiety that people might be feeling about, um, you know, not sure how they're going to pay all of their bills um, and, you know, really can be a lifeline for people. Okay, good. Thank you. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Kelly Rose from the Michigan State Housing Development Authority about the SARA program that they have to offer uh, utility and rental assistance for people that and either landlords or tenants can apply. So it's a very valuable program. Jen, go ahead. Did you have something? Kelly, how much money is available? Uh, so we have $622 million from the Consolidated Appropriations Act, um, and, and those funds have been all appropriated by the state legislature. And then there's another over $400 million that should be appropriated by the legislature from the American Rescue Plan Act 
um, and that should be appropriated later this fall. So um, bottom line, there's ample funding available. We think this program will be in operation for probably at least two more years, uh, most likely. So, but we really encourage people to apply right away. Um, so, um, you know, just don't delay. Is it kind of out of first come first serve then? Is that what Generally, yes. I mean, we are prioritizing eviction cases. So if, because um, it's part of our application process where we ask tenants and landlords, you know, if the landlord has already filed for eviction, that we know that that one will need some accelerated processing. Um, but yes, generally it's first come first serve. Okay. What are some general questions or issues people may run into if they're applying things that you're hearing all the time that maybe you could share now to prevent people from running, in those, running into those issues? Sure. Um, so really, we find the best success when the tenant and landlord are communicating before they start the application process, um, because we can definitely process the application faster if both the tenant and the landlord are filling out their portions of the application. Um, and we, but we, we can fund directly to the tenant if the landlord opts out, but that typically makes it a, you know, a couple long, you know, a couple weeks longer in the application process to get just additional documentation from the tenant um, to make sure that we can verify, you know, how much are they in arrears um, and those sorts of things. So really just that communication with the landlord and tenant ahead of time um, can really help speed up the application process. Okay. Go ahead, Jen. Oh, you're on mute, Jen, I think. Did you have something? Uh Yep, I got off. Sorry, it took me a second. <laughs> Kelly, um, how, so I think you kind of just touched upon it with the tenant and, and the renter being on the same page. Um, my question was kind of around, you know, if our members, if a municipality knows of someone who is behind on their utilities, can that municipality reach out to MISHTA or does it have to be done through the tenant? The tenant does have to apply for the program, um, so we can't fund an application if either just a landlord applies or if we're just getting communication from a utility provider, um, because the federal eligibility is solely centered around the tenant. Um, so, but it but it is great to have you know the landlord reaching out to the tenant, potentially the utility provider reaching out to the tenant, making sure they know about the program and, and just increasing awareness. Um, and we do have our service agencies; they can see within our application portal um, the applications that have come in where a landlord has. Started Started the application, but the tenant has not yet applied, um, and they are reaching out to those tenants to try to, you know, help them along with the process, figure out if there are any barriers to the application, and really just encouraging them to take advantage of it. Right, and kind of related to that, I think it might be the same question. It says, you know, as you may, as you know, Kelly, a lot of our communities have, you know, city sewer or water utilities that they run. So if people are late on those. What can the city do to let them know? Does it matter to saying, here's a program that might help you? We've noticed you're a couple months behind on these bills. So would that be something that would be eligible for this? Definitely. Um, yeah, we would definitely appreciate communication uh, from the local um, utility companies and, and municipalities um, through, you know, really whatever means necessary that you think is going to best reach um, your customers um, to alert them to the program and make sure that they know include these utility bills in your application process because we don't know that someone's behind on their water bill unless they tell us they're behind on their water bill and they include a copy, you know, of, you know they, and they can take a screenshot with their phone and it's part of the application process. It's pretty easy. But if they don't tell us that they're behind on those utilities, we don't know um, that they're, you know, to, to work with that municipality around, um, you know, getting them, helping them get caught up. So really just making sure that they know they can include this. And we do in our application highlight here the different types of utilities. If you're behind on any of them, you know, include those bills and we can help you get caught up. Okay, good. Thank you.
Kelly, what is the difference if um, someone has reached out through um, DHHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, um, for their utility assistance? Do these two programs work together? Can you apply to both? Um, you definitely could apply to both. Um, really, we would look at because our utility provider, or sorry, our service providers are looking at the utility balances. You know, when they're reviewing the application. So if DHHS had paid, you know, some balance of their utilities three weeks earlier, then obviously that would be taken into account when we're making the payment. Um, but um, it, and it really varies now. I know the DHHS is going to be rolling out some enhanced utility uh, programs because of some of the additional funds um, in LIHEAP and, and water assistance uh, that will be coming out. But we just encourage, yes, I mean, apply, there's no harm in applying to both um, and, and having that messaging that tenants can apply to, to both resources. Good, that's a great, great question, Jen. All right, well, thank you. Uh, any other things you wanna add, Kelly? I know I just appreciate the opportunity to be able to highlight the program uh, to your membership and um, definitely uh, check out the website so you get greater familiarity with um, you know, how the program is operated and reach out to your local service providers in your area um, to get more you know, specific information. Right. Thank you. And if you have any questions, uh, you're watching this maybe after we've already recorded it for Kelly, feel free to reach out to uh, uh, myself or, or Jen at the, the league, and we'll, we'll get you in touch with the right people if you have any questions about this. So thank you again for kept joining us, Kelly. Thank I you. appreciate it very much. So next up, uh, we're going to have uh, Shanna Draham join us from the Michigan Municipal League. Uh, Shanna's just going to real quickly talk about a couple different programs we're having as we're talking about the different assistance that's out there. As, as you all know, the American Rescue Plan Act um, is, is a source of revenue that's out there. Rod Taylor from Michigan Department of Treasury is going to be talking a little bit more about that. But in the meantime, Shannon wanted to come on and talk about a couple different programs that we have offering assistance to members that are looking for this, uh, the federal funding that's out there. So go ahead, Shannon, tell us about those two programs that we get going. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I think probably a lot of you who are tuning in have already heard us talking about our Serve My City program before. We launched it last summer, actually, to help communities with some technical assistance when you were going after your CARES Act funding and have continued it as ARPA has rolled out. And I think as some of the uh, infrastructure dollars are going to start rolling and the purpose of that program has, is predominantly just to provide some, some kind of on-demand technical assistance as you are working through those applications. You know, what questions do you have? What do you need help with in terms of getting those funds? How do you, you know, submit your right applications? How do you do the reporting? And so we've contracted with public sector consultants to help provide some of that technical assistance and are still here to help you. Um, reporting deadlines are gonna be coming up soon and I imagine there will be some need there. So, um, and I'll ask Betsy if she can maybe put the Serve My City email in our chat. There we go, thank you. Um, so take advantage of that. That program is also trying to do a little bit of deeper help with some communities um, as we go a little bit further, just to help with some communications and community engagement around you know, what needs your community has and what kind of transformational or particularly, um, you know, innovative programs you might use your ARP dollars for to really make an impact and, and help build community wealth in your community. So we're, we're doing a little bit of, of that type of work too. And in that vein, we recently um, have had some conversations with the National League of Cities who's launched their own navigator, what they're calling Grant Navigator Program. They are doing this work. They have done this work in the South. They are coming to the Great Lakes and you've probably, some of you have maybe seen some of their emails already. 
they are trying to recruit, you know, somewhere between 25 to 50 cities, communities, excuse me, in each of the five Great Lakes states they're working with to do a, a very cool data-driven process. They're, they're using some really interesting um, grant information, or excuse me, some really interesting demographic and economic and infrastructure data to help you think about um, and do a bit of a needs assessment in your community. And then they are going to help walk you through aligning that to potential federal grant sources. Whether that's you know, additional ARPA dollars, whether that's infrastructure dollars as those get allocated um, or others. So we're gonna be partnering with them um, to, you know, as they're doing that, we'll be participating in some of those conversations and that will help us you know, know who else in our state may need some additional um, assistance through our Serve My City program. So, I'd really encourage you all to take a look. Uh, both of those services are free to members at that sort of technical assistance level. So uh, emails are in the chat and I think Betsy put the information on the NLC program. In there she too, did. So. We did get one question for you, Shanna. If we applied to participate in the NLC program, when will we find out if we are selected? I think they have said they are looking to let people know, you know, in the sort of later October, early November timeframe, they were originally okay. kind of driving towards their um, National League of Cities meeting in November. And I think they're still driving towards that. So I think early November at the latest. Okay, great. All right, thank you, uh, Shanna. Anything yeah. else you wanna mention about it? No, just, I really hope our communities will take advantage of it. I, I, we are, are free we are programs. Here to help. So yeah, free use. programs. <laughs> we wanna help. We do not want Michigan cities leaving dollars on the table. So, so yeah. let us help you. Great, thank you so much, Shannon. I appreciate it very much. All right, next up, uh, we're gonna bring in Rod Taylor from the Michigan uh, Department of Treasury. He's an administrator with them. Thank you joining, for joining us and Chris and John and anyone from the Lancy team is welcome on as well. Um, so Rod, uh, uh, as uh, we've talked a couple times here about the Mich American Rescue Plan funding that's for non-entitlement units of local government, NEUs, um, and that has been the program that you're in charge of. There was a, well over 1,700 of these uh, municipalities classified as an NEU all over our state, and you were hoping uh, that they all apply for this funding or at least declare their intentions for the ARP funding that's available for them. I believe it's over $600 million. Um, so it's a nice, very large chunk of change. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit of where we're at in this process and what communities can should know, you know moving forward. Certainly, and I, I appreciate following up with your previous presentation as well because part of determining um, and receiving these funds is making sure that our local units of government are going through a good, strong planning process to evaluate the potential uses. Um, so I really appreciate MML developing that program and offering that to your communities. <clears throat> From a process perspective, of the 1,724 local units of government, we have about 96% that have filed a request for funding, um, or uh, we actually have about 10 local units of government that have declined uh, funding. So our response rate has been extremely high uh, at this point, and we really appreciate the partnership that we've had with MML as well as MTA in reaching out and contacting our communities to make sure that they're aware of this funding and to go through that application process. Our current phase that we're focusing on right now is that we're using an outside vendor to uh, review those applications to make sure they're compliant um, with the requirements from U.S. Treasury. At that uh, at this point, we have about uh, 30, about 40% of those applications have been reviewed. And as of Friday last week, uh, local units of government that have successfully 
completed all of those requirements would have received uh, a letter notifying them that their application is in compliance. In other words, that they are available for funding. Uh, that does mean though, um, we still have a lot of um, applications still to review um, and they're actively reviewing those. Additionally, one of the things that we've discovered through that review process is there is a pretty significant error rate uh, for local units of government. And so you'll either receive an email once that audit's done, uh, indicating that again, their application is approved, or um, you may receive a phone call from our outside vendor uh, letting you know that there are errors in your submission. They'll walk through you with you what those errors are. Um, and in addition, then you'd receive an email from us that lists those specific errors. So you have a hard copy of what those errors were. Um, on our website, we've created a resubmission FAQ because there are a lot of common uh, errors. And so that will be a good guide to refer to, and I'll give you the address for that in a second. But that'll allow you to uh, review those common errors and figure out what you need to do to ensure that you have a, a successful submission. The majority of the errors are pretty easy to fix. Um, uh, unfortunately, the forms from US Treasury were not very clear on what local units of government had to fill out. So for example, there were some contact information fields, there were some information required for DUNS numbers and some of the other numbers, and all that information has to be filled out. And it wasn't, it wasn't very obvious. And so a lot of our local units of government may just not seen that, not filled out that information. So it's gonna be pretty easy to fill that out and uh, resubmit it. Another common error we received was uh, a lot of the documents that you were supposed to upload. Um, uh, they may only uploaded the signature page or they may have inadvertently scanned it on just the even page, pages or just the odd pages. So we're missing the pages that were required. So you just need to up, upload the uh, complete document. And another common area was making sure that your chief administrative officer signed all the forms. That was one of the requirements from US Treasury and those forms all need to be signed by that chief administrative officer. And what we found is that sometimes we, you know, maybe a clerk or a treasurer or a manager would sign one form the CAO would sign another form and there were just some inconsistencies it's there. So the same signature. Okay. And it's gotta be the same. And it's gonna, it has to be that whoever that chief administrative officer is uh, for the local unit of government. Okay. Um, to, uh, once you get that information, if you are one of those units that do have those errors, again, uh, it's gonna be relatively easy to affix because when you go back into the elite system, all the previous information that you had submitted is gonna already be there. So you don't have to type everything all over again. You'll just need to fix whatever the particular error was. Maybe it's upload one document. Maybe it's um, change one or two uh, lines within the request and then resubmit that. Um, and so that's kind of the process we're going through. Again, those phone calls for those that have errors in the submissions are gonna begin this week. And um, they'll probably last the next you know, two or three weeks because it's gonna take them a while to get through all of the almost 1600, 1600 plus applications that we have. Okay, I think I think you I think I heard earlier almost sixty percent six zero have some kind of errors that you have to follow up with. So it's a pretty large number of people. It is, it is, yeah. So um, it is going to take a while. We understand that to get through those, and it's also going to take a little while for locals to get those uh, errors fixed. But it's really important to fix those as quickly as you possibly can, um, so that we make sure that we continue to get as many people eligible for these funds as we possibly can we can get. In terms of payments, which is one of the big questions that I'm sure that everybody's interested in, when we're we still paid. <laughs> yeah, when we're going to get paid. Yep. If you're one of those uh, 330 that received their 
uh, approval letter on Friday. Um, we estimate about three weeks um, from that letter. So our goal is mid-September sometime. So um, and sometime in the next couple of weeks, maybe the three weeks would be the, the, the worst case scenario. But sometime yet this month is our goal to get those payments out. And they'll be rolling as well. So they won't all come out at once. They're going to be coming out kind of once, one, once a week and then continue to roll them out. So we're not waiting until we get everything perfect before we're sending those payments out. So and as people do their error corrections, they'll go back into the queue as well and, and yep. be rolling out in that same time period. Yes, yes, that's correct. And it is, we're, we're reviewing them as they come in as well. So the quicker you get your errors fixed, the quicker you're back in the queue, the quicker you'll get your payment as well. And again, we're only talking about the NEUs. We're not talking about the metro cities, which is a different pot of money, a different pot of administrative oversight. That, that's correct. So our 39 metro communities and our counties throughout the state were direct applications to U.S. Treasury. They have a completely different process. They don't have to worry about any of the stuff that we're talking about right now. Okay. <laughs> and then, so if you got the, if, if you get the approval letter, then you're good. But if you didn't get approval letter, that probably means you're going to be getting the call in the next couple of days. Yeah. Also on our website, again, I told you I was giving you our address for that. So if you go to uh, www.michigan.gov slash ARPA, um, on that page, you will find both the FAQ resubmission document that I referred to, and also we have the NEU, it's actually titled the CLFRF, um, NEU status document. So look for NEU status, and that's updated daily in the morning. So you can look at that document, and you'll be able to see if your application has been reviewed, if it hasn't been reviewed. And eventually when we get to the payment side, we're gonna make sure all that information is updated as well. So you'll know when your payment goes out, you can check that and you can come back and look at the document to find out where you're at in the process. I think one of the things, Matt, that it, as, as Rod and I have talked for the last week or so, uh, you know, even if you're not quote unquote approved yet, um, you know, most of these errors uh, Rod's mentioned really are, and I'll use the term superficial, uh, Rod, Rod doesn't have to, but they're, they're not, there's not the big, big problems with these applications for the most part. They really are just, uh, you know, more technical corrections that have to be made to ensure that everything is good for U.S. Treasury. Uh, so, so no one should be intimidated or feel like they're being denied their funds. Yeah. Uh, folks are going to be able to get their money. It's just we have to make sure that, that every, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, I know there probably is some frustration from people. Everybody wants their money yesterday, and, and I think we all get that. But uh, compared to other states, I think we're doing pretty good, aren't we, Rod? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's 50 states, and some of them are a little ahead of us, and some of them are significantly behind us. So one of the things that we're happy about our process, even with those states that are ahead of us, is that... Um, you know, it's going to be a lot easier for locals to deal with us, frankly, than it is going to be the U.S. Treasury. And so the more we work ahead of the game to get this information right, get it correct, get the correct information passed on to U.S. Treasury, we really hope that's going to make it that much easier when you guys have to start doing the reporting uh, directly with U.S. Treasury. Um, you know, Chris has my phone number. Many of the people on the phone call have my contact information. You can always reach out to me. You probably won't have the same experience with U.S. Treasury. So, again, we understand that it's taking a little longer than uh, many of our locals would like to see. But, um, again, we hopefully this a little bit of pain in the front end will make things go smoother later on as you have to do your reports. And your first report for our NEUs will be in October. Um, so there'll be hopefully more information coming out from U.S. Treasury on that reporting process. Um, but that's going to be another hurdle that our locals will have to uh, work through to get that reporting done in October, by the end of October. 
Go ahead, and Chris. From our Serve My City program, that's another area where I know Shannon and the team there are happy to help with any any technical questions on, you know, kind of throughout this process. I think one of the things too, the kind of the silver lining to the delay in this is is also, you know, the the opportunity it gives for a lot of our NEUs uh, who are who are trying to figure out how to leverage their dollars in in the best way possible, uh, you know, and, and as we wait, and I know we're going to talk a little later in the show here about kind of the state budget and what the state's doing, but you know, knowing what's going on uh, with your county's funding, knowing what's going on with your your neighboring communities, what the state has available, what some of your nonprofits or your business community might have available, you know, and, and working to team up on, on all of those opportunities will allow you to stretch your dollars even further. But again, especially for a lot of the folks in our, our non-entitlement unit category. Right, well, thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, Rod. Um, anything else you wanted to cover on this before we, uh, any, uh, any go ahead. Nope, no, no, um, just make sure that you are signed up for our email alerts because we, any, you know, like for example, when those contact information was starting this week, we send out gov delivery messages through our email alerts. So if you go to www.michigan.gov slash CEFD, and I'll put that in the chat, um, you can sign up for our email alerts as well. So stay updated. Right. I, I do think it's important to know that, you know, the debt, although that, you know, people are wanting their money, you know, yesterday, but the, you know, you don't have to buy law. You don't have to spend the funds until the end of 2024, or you don't have to allocate them to the end of 2024. You don't have to spend it till the end of 2026. So there is some time to do this. So I, although everyone, of course, wants everything, you know, as quickly as possible, there's still some breathing room. Um, should you have errors that you got to fix, there's there's plenty of time to figure all these things out. Is that correct, right? That is absolutely correct. Um, you know, when we start thinking about um, the four potential uses to spend the monies. Um, um, you know, what I would recommend local units of government do is, is to start with the revenue loss calculation and figuring out what that will be. You can do that calculation as 2020. I would also do some estimates for 21, 22, and 23 as well. So that gives you an idea of the scale of funds that you might have to allocate to that particular category. The advantage of that category is it's the broadest category. You can spend it on government services. And so that gives you the, you know, the most flexibility to use those funds. And then you can be more creative and potentially how you can make that transformative change for your local unit of government. So start with the, that one. Then I would look at um, uh, um, the next one, which would be the infrastructure, water, sewer, and broadband. Again, it's a, it's a little more black and white and what you can spend it on. It's, it's easier to determine whether your project would be eligible or not eligible. And you know, infrastructure obviously is a critical need within our jurisdictions across the state. So I look at that um, second. The third one I look at then would be your premium payments um, to your essential workers. Again, it's black and white. It's easy to determine whether or not these are essential workers, whether they meet the, the qualifications of the act. And then the last one I would look at um, after you've looked at the first, first three is those impacts due to COVID. And I'd look at that one kind of last and that kind of, and one reason why is just because it is more nebulous. It's a little bit um, less clear in terms of what some of those uses might be for our local units of government. And if you can take the things that are a little more black and white first and then focus on how many dollars you have left over for that last category, it might just be an effective way to look at how to spend those dollars. Right. And Kelly, of course, from Mishta was on here a few minutes ago talking about the, the, the housing and utility assistance. And of course, a lot of our municipalities run utilities. So uh, Rob, would you suggest that they look at that program as far as if they do have some, some, some 
revenue declines because of COVID and those utility and, and water and sewer funds that they kind of maybe look at both things like helping their tenants, but also using this money to offset that. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes to Chris's point, you know, in terms of one of the advantages of going a little slow, here's lots of programs. They're all, you know, I mean, the state, you, you mentioned it's going to pass a budget here the next month or so. Um, you know, we don't know what they're going to use their ARPA dollars for. And so maybe some of those dollars will flow down to the local units of government as well. And so you don't want to use something that might be available in another pot um, versus your ARPA dollars. So, you know, uh, allowing some of these programs to develop and find out what they are is a, is a good way to do The only one that's obviously is, is challenging in, in the timing perspective is your water and sewer projects, but you don't have to um, um, allocate the funds until 2024. You don't have to spend the money until 2026. We know that water and sewer projects do take a long time. So those are ones that you may want to be getting with your engineers, at least talking about that process so you're prepared to meet some of those timelines. Yeah. And, and even, and that's on awesome. that, even, even on that one, Matt, you know, when we're talking water and sewer, you need to kind of keep in the back of your head, what is Congress going to do with the infrastructure proposal that the Senate's passed? Uh, and that the house is looking at this month. So there's a lot, there's kind of a lot up in the air uh, on, on the infrastructure front. And again, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to be inefficient with your dollars and spend it on something when you've got, I had a, a conversation with a community a couple of weeks ago, they were looking at a broadband project. And I said, you know, they were looking at teaming up their funds with a, a local provider. And I said, you know, hold on, you know, there's, you may not need to spend a dime of your money on broadband because there's going to be hundreds of million dollars coming into broadband uh, in the next few months. So again, I think it behooves everyone to, to uh, take their time and, and see what, what opportunities show up here in the next uh, 30, 60, 90 days. Yeah. And that's really where our serve by city program and, and the NLC navigator program can come in and help this. Shanna talked about, we can help you kind of prioritize those things like, well, are you aware of this fund that's coming? You might want to use that instead of this. So uh, all these things that we're talking about today kind of all intertwine with each other. So I do have a question for you, Rod. It came in. It says, we received our confirmation of submission for the ARPA funds on July 8th. I see others approved July 8th through the 16th. Have we been missed? Um, so the, the email notification wouldn't have came out until uh, Friday, last last week. So before that, we would not have uh, sent out any of the email notifications. You have you may have been in a status on the NEU status of audited, um, completed, but we didn't actually start sending those letters out until Friday because we hadn't developed that portion of the project. So um, if you have been, if you think you've been missed, um, if you send an email to ARPA, uh, excuse me, uh, treasure-arpa at michigan.gov, and I'll put that in the in the chat. Uh, we'll definitely be able to help you out, figure out um, exactly what your status is, if there's any questions. Great. One of the things, Matt, too, that you know, everyone is, is really kind of operating, every state, every treasury department, all of our local units are operating under an interim rule from U.S. Treasury. Uh, they have kind of closed that rule period, and we're waiting for the final rule uh, to be published. And Rod, my understanding is that could be any time in the next couple of weeks here. Have you guys heard anything new? We haven't heard anything new, and it's going to be interesting because, again, um, we don't know how much they'll change and what they won't change. So, for example, I've heard rumors that the revenue sharing calculation that is currently published might change and may give local units of government because now you have to do that calculation over multiple fiscal years. Um, and there's been, I don't know if that stuff will change or won't change, but it just goes to the point that we really need to see that final rule to know exactly uh, what's allowed and what's not allowed and how you can calculate some of these things. So. Okay, thank you. 
All right. Um, I don't see any more questions for Rod. If you do have uh, them, post them in the, uh, the chat, uh, either if you're on Facebook or here. And even if this has already been recorded and we're done, we'll, we'll definitely follow up, but we can forward your question to the, to the Treasury Department and, the, and they can get back with you on some answers. So uh, thank you, Rod, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, we're going to move on now to our Lansing team. Chris, you're already with us. And, and John and Jennifer and Harrisano will be joining us next. So we have uh, danced a little bit around talking about the budget news. Um, so let's just jump into that, find out where we're at with that and uh, what our communities can expect. Well, the, the budget news is uh, we don't have any news yet. Uh, they have to be done by October 1st. <laughs> How about okay, that? So that's uh, what? That's three weeks away? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we do know the legislature has been kind of easing their way back in from their summer recess. Um, we expect them to get start back in kind of full time over the next two weeks here. Um, you know, the there's kind of an expectation as we get to the last week or two of the month, uh, that the negotiations will have hopefully wrapped up. I'm going to knock on some wood here. Uh, hopefully, have wrapped up by then, and then you know we can have subcommittees and full committees doing their work the last two weeks of September uh, on a final budget deal. It is likely that that state budget. Uh, obviously, we had some conversations before they they broke. You know, you know, people have talked about the term a skinny budget or a baseline budget. You know, just trying to get the state uh, the state's operating budget set up by October first, and then you know, kind of separately talk about how we allocate the state's first tranche of their six and a half billion dollars. So they've got you know three and a quarter billion uh, to to work with that they already they already have in hand right now. So, you know, there's a lot of conversations we've seen. The governor's had some proposals. Uh, you know, the legislature's put out some different proposals. Uh, uh, state parks, local parks, water, sewer, housing, uh, economic development, uh, workforce Bridges development. Thing. Bridges, <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different ideas. Uh, and that's, you know, that we're expecting that to be done through some separate negotiations after this October 1st deadline. Okay. What's generally the bottom line as far as what communities should expect? I mean, we're, there's a lot of money, it seems like, out there. Do we, do, do, should our communities expect to see some of that back that maybe they don't, don't know what's even coming yet? That there could be some things down the road. So uh, I think it'd be a pretty safe bet to say that they're going to see more. Um, the question really becomes is, like, in what areas, how much, uh, what other stipulations go along with it? And it'll be different than what we typically see as we advocate uh, for revenue sharing, let's say, which might be a few million more here and there. Uh, it's, it's honestly hard to grasp the size and the scope of what's, what's available and what can be done with it, um, which is really what we're trying to even get our heads around organizationally, Matt, as we help advocate and, and shepherd through the process, the way in which the state elects to invest some of these dollars. When you're talking about somewhere between, you know, six and $10 billion that could potentially make its way out into the environment, whether that be for things like utility assistance that you heard about earlier on this program, or whether that be directly for water and sewer infrastructure, or roads and bridges, depending on what type of, of allocation you're electing to use, whether that's federal American Rescue Plan dollars or excess state GF, it's significant. Um, and much like we're advocating and advising our members to be patient. Uh, we are taking very much the same approach or asking the state to take the same approach as well 
so they don't rush their investment uh, and and really throw good money at, at bad. Uh, we want, really want to make sure what they do is strategic, it's coordinated, it, it works across multiple sectors. And so if you're doing something in the water and sewer space, it's tied to the economic development program that the state's putting in place, or it's tied to the housing program that the state's putting in place, which is really going to allow us to get our maximum benefit. And that is going to be impossible to turn around by October 1. And so as Chris had mentioned, some of the budget negotiation for next fiscal year will happen immediately, but some of the additional spending is going to take months, uh, very likely. Uh, and hopefully it will be over the course of that time that one, we can have some influence on the process, but ultimately at the end of the day, put our members in a position to actually receive or have access to a significant sum of those dollars. Okay. And John, what are we seeing uh, at the federal level as far as the budget? I know that there was some things passed in one chamber, but not the other. Where things stand with, with that? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, if, if, if we uh, are, are questioning where we stand at the state level, we're really questioning where we stand at the federal level. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot that still has to happen over there in order to come to an agreement. And, and there are multiple moving parts. Set all the politics aside for a second. Um, but there are some significant issues that need to be addressed at the federal level, uh, as well as here at the state level. But one of the things that they have in common is infrastructure. And so that is the, the piece of legislation that has passed the U.S. Senate. Uh, it is currently sitting before the U.S. House. It's about $1.2 trillion in investment in everything from roads and bridges to broadband to water and sewer uh, to cybersecurity, which I know Harrison and I talk a lot about. I mean, there's impacts for, for high waters. I know Senator Peters at the end of last year uh, helped pass what was known as Storm Act, uh, which is a way to prepare for uh, extreme weather events and make your communities more resilient. There's $500 million in there for that. Um, that one is most likely to pass in the near term, uh, likely with very few changes. Uh, the next process, though, is budget reconciliation, which really is a way in which the U.S. Senate has put the marker in the sand of a $3.5 trillion spend at the federal government. And this goes way beyond infrastructure. This gets into you know, some of the programs that are out there, everything that would be from, you know, college assistance to child care assistance to uh, a variety of other things. And that one's going to take a little bit more time. Uh, but right now, early indications are that they're going to try to move forward. Again, there are some political uh, considerations in terms of where votes may fall on that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the federal government's moving forward, you know, to spend somewhere between an initial uh, four and five trillion dollars. Uh, in addition to what they've already spent in terms of stimulus money that's currently in the economy. Okay, wow. Yeah, so a lot of, lot, of, lot, of, lot of potential, a lot of possibilities out there that we just have to kind of keep an eye on to see how it's going to impact us at the local level. It is, Matt. And, and I will, I will reemphasize uh, something Shanna said earlier. So when we think about you know, the Great Lakes Navigator program and, and the ability yes. to have access to and have a data-driven process at the local level, we believe in, in why we're amplifying that partnering with them is, is so critical to be at the forefront of that as a community, because you're going to be competing with potentially 19,000 other communities across, across the country for some of these funds and competitive grant programs. So it's really a great avenue to put yourself in the best position possible, whether that be with current dollars available or future dollars that may be available. That's a great point. And again, both programs are free. It's very easy to sign up for the NLC's Navigator program. There's a website. We've already shared the link. 
you can go on there. Uh, we can share it again, but you can go on there and fill that out and just get your foot in the door. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, Matt, just in terms of the state budget, some of the priorities that that we are advocating for on behalf of league members. Um, obviously, revenue sharing is at the top of the list. There's, uh, you know, the governor had recommended a, a two percent increase. As John mentioned, sometimes we're we're working in the in the five and six million dollar range, um, but that is, you know, that's a priority, and and it appears that all three legs of the stool are working with that two percent figure right now. Um, you know, we'll see once they kind of finalize things. Uh, obviously, constitutional revenue sharing is based upon whatever sales tax collections come in. They've been really robust lately. Uh, members have probably seen that in their in their deposits from uh, from Michigan Treasury every other month when those come in. Um, but I know you know other priorities we're working on. Um, you know, Harrisana has been really following closely the shoreline erosion funding. The governor recommended uh, you know the, about forty million dollars, Harrisana. Um, you know, John, I know, and Harrison have been working together on the governor's My Clean Water Plan. Um, you know, obviously there's state dollars that were originally proposed. You know, that could be something that transitions over to ARP dollars. It's very likely to, but there may be some, some state funding component of that as well. Uh, Jen's been uh, working with folks over at, at Michigan and MEDC. Uh, there's been a, a housing and community development fund proposal the governor had originally in her budget. Again, how do those dollars potentially fit in either as general fund dollars as part of the state's budget or does it become part of the ARP budget? But those all remain high priorities for us. And again, separate from some of those, uh, you know, we've got priorities dealing with the, some relief for our city income tax communities, some boilerplate adjustments within, within revenue sharing to try and provide some uh, restoration of cuts from last year. So there's a lot of balls in the air, whether we're talking the ARP funds or even just the state, uh, the state dollars. So there's a lot, a lot to come here and, and September is going to be a busy month. <laughs> Very much. Of course, it's also our convention, uh, September 22nd through the 24th. Uh, the Lansing team will be there. Uh, so feel free to pull them aside if you have any questions about any of these issues uh, when you're attending our convention. Uh, Harrison, I did want to bring you on. Uh, Chris mentioned a couple of things you're working on. Is there anything you'd like to expand upon? Well, I mean, of course, we're going to be fully involved in the budget conversations in September. Um, but I would, did want to share um, a small bit of information on both cybersecurity and elections, since both Chris and John mentioned that. Um, we have been offered an opportunity to participate on September 22nd in a training that will be hosted by the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA for short, thankfully. <laughs> Another acronym. Never acronym. And the Bureau of Elections, they will be hosting a series of programming in the next couple of weeks on how both our communities can acquire .gov domains. Um, so the municipality or state.gov, that is a top line domain that is only accessible to the organizations that are affiliated with that. And mm -hmm. actually many of our municipalities, our cities and villages don't have one. Um, and so it's really important that we expand access to that domain, not just with the credentialing that it provides our communities to make sure that nobody else is trying to impersonate them, especially as we've transitioned to a very virtual and digital setting, but also right. we're exploring more opportunities to do our elections over the internet and virtually. Uh, we wanna make sure that they're prepared. So we will be part, we will encouraging our members to participate in this session on September 22nd. Um, so they can learn about the resources that they're available to them and especially the transition uh, that they would need to take that would need to take place in order for them to acquire that domain. So lots of information to validate the community is is the community requiring requesting the domain. 
Um, so we are encouraging our members to take advantage of that opportunity. And we posted a blog on Inside 208 for our members to request information on that. Um, they'll also be covering a session on phishing specifically for elections communication. So as our clerks are communicating with the state, as our clerks are communicating with residents, making sure that they're not susceptible to any sort of malicious or phishing uh, attempts that can really hinder their overall operations, not just as a city uh, for electoral purposes, but overall op operations. Right, and we're talking phishing with PH and not with F. Yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> starts with an F. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a different department. Uh, well, thank you, Harrison. Anything else you want to mention there? Uh, just to let our members know that we are staying engaged in all of the election conversations. Of course, redistricting is happening right now. Yes. Um, the comment period is going to open next month. But we've also heard lots of discussion about the ballot initiative that's going on that would require uh, IDs for the request of absentee ballots as well as to vote at the polls. And so that might usher in some major confusion for our residents as that moves forward. So we're watching that closely as well. And of course, the bills that are currently in both the House and the Senate that look to uh, make some election reforms, some necessary, others not. But we're staying engaged and communicating with our members on all the things that are happening in Lansing. Right. Thank you. I, I did want to mention real quick, uh, I am on the committee, the, the communications committee for the redistricting, and, and they all have now put together several maps all over the state, some different maps that people can start looking at. So feel free to go to the state's uh, website, uh, the Michigan redistricting state website, and we can uh, and look at those maps. Um, and there's comment periods. They're having meetings all over the state. So you can go to those meetings either virtually or in person. So those are, that's a really important thing happening right now in our state. All right, any other, uh, Jen, uh, we've talked a little bit about housing stuff. Is there any other issues you wanted to bring up? <laughs> She's shaking her head. <laughs> okay. I think I'm all set right now, Matt. Okay, good, thank you. All right, John, hey, did Matt, you have Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna mention one issue that was up in transportation uh, committee this last week. It's uh, Senate Bill 465 and 466, which sets up a what's known as a federal exchange program and very simple terms, it means locals get federal money, uh, they can give that back to the Department of Transportation, and the Department of Transportation will give them state funds in exchange for that. Uh, the theory being that state funds are more flexible, they don't have some of the same federal requirements that go along with them, and those dollars can be stretched further. So those two bills deal with the creation of a, of a statutory federal exchange program we're tracking those bills very carefully. It's been a priority of the County Road Association for a number of years now. And there's, and there's two things that, that I, I think we should be aware of is, is one, we have to make sure we're cognizant of the planning uh, participation of our members, whether that be in the Rural Task Force or in the MPO and how these bills may impact that. But ultimately at the, at the end of the day, we have elected to just monitor this legislation in its current terms. Although I just heard via text through the, the first member that may be interested in it. And that was part of the reason in terms of our internal process about how we decided to engage or, or not engage in this process with the desire of our members to, to take advantage of it. It would be applicable to all of our members. It, it wouldn't be a disadvantage or, or, or an advantage uh, one way or another, we believe. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure people were aware of it. It's a piece of legislation that's out there that we now we're starting to get some questions on. We'll make sure we continue to keep you updated on that process and the ability to potentially swap out some of those dollars. 
Uh, there is still a number of things that need to be worked out like there is with any piece of legislation. A lot of that has to do with how those dollars are exchanged between the locals and the department and what the value associated with that would be, as it likely would not be a direct one-for-one -one swap in terms of dollars amount. Uh, the other states that do this across the country, and there's about a dozen of them, usually have some sort of prorated aspect to it. So it might be 90% or 85%, uh, but still allows you more flexibility if those dollars potentially go further at the local level. So just wanted to make sure everybody was aware that we're monitoring that, paying close attention to it, its potential impact on our members, and should we need to engage further uh, as a direct result of some support uh, our members are seeking, we'll do that. Great, thank you, John. Thank you. Chris, did you have something you wanted to add? You say, I know you mentioned convention, Matt, and, and we're obviously going to be at convention. Uh, we have a, a breakout session on Friday. I think we're going to do a, a similar format to this and you're going to moderate, but but we'll actually see each other in person. So that'll be awesome. Uh, so we encourage everybody to, to come uh, to convention for that. And I know we're going to have a, a big session, talk more about American Rescue Plan and the Serve My City program. So those are going to be two uh, big highlights for our team uh, as we move through the week at convention in Grand Rapids. Yeah, we're look, really looking forward to our convention. We got a, a, we're actually a little bit surprised by how many members we have signed up. We're very happy about that. Um, we weren't really sure what to expect, but uh, we're going to be there and we're looking forward to seeing as many people as we can. Um, so uh, we've talked about the convention a couple of times, but anyways, that is September 22nd through the 24th at Grand Rapids. If you haven't registered, there's still time to do so. You just go to our, our website, mml.org, and you can click on the convention and register for that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is our next Live with the League uh, conversation is going to be uh, Monday, September 20th at noon. So that's the week of convention. We won't, some of us won't be in Grand Rapids yet, so we'll still have this conversation virtually for that. Um, and then um, we did get a question just came in. It might be for Rob, but our team might be able to answer it. Do you have a link to the current ARPA spending guidelines for NEUs? Uh, thanks in advance from the city of Walker. I believe that is on one of the pages, one of the websites we've shared. Is it my number? Yeah, that, that is part of the, oh, Rod's on. Good. Go ahead, Rod. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll throw the link in the um, chat. Um, you can get to it from our ARPA website as well but I'll give you this specific uh, connection to uh, US Treasury information. So I'll throw that in the chat here real quick. Thank you. And those and the, those spending guidelines are the same for everyone, regardless of whether you're an NEU or a Metro city or a county, um, you know, even the state's funding, any of the funds under this program, uh, as Rod kind of walked through those four categories, revenue loss, uh, water, sewer and broadband, uh, premium pay for essential workers, or to uh, combat the impacts of the pandemic on, on healthcare or the economy. And also just to you know, add to what's, so the link I gave was US Treasury's primary website, but the three documents that you wanna focus on is first the act itself, uh, but uh, more specifically the interim rule that we talked about a little bit earlier, and then the uh, FAQs as well. The FAQs probably answer 60, 70, 80% of the questions our local units of governments are having. So, and they, they get updated every couple of weeks as well. So make sure you check back on a regular basis. Okay, well, thank you, Rod. I appreciate that. Thank you, everybody. Uh, so, Jen, did you have something? Yeah, I'm gonna, I am <laughs> gonna hop in because I didn't give an update and I got a couple text messages from some of our <laughs> faithful followers wondering what's going on with short-term rentals. Okay. Um, at this point, I would say uh, no news is, is good news. Um, you know, we are expecting that issue to pick back up um, very quickly. 
um, here once session gets rolling again and the budget uh, is all worked out. Um, and we are still working on getting those finalized drafts um, of our you know, local government's proposals. Uh, and that's local government working with uh, a group of stakeholders, the Restaurant and Lodging Association and some other um, organizations. And you know, as soon as we have those, we'll get those out to share with folks and um, plan on hearing more at our updated convention. Um, we should have uh, a little bit more information by that time, um, but definitely one of those issues you want to still be talking to your legislators about. Um, and maybe you saw today in the, the Detroit Free Press, there um, is an article on preemption. I think just overall talking to your legislators about preemption and while, why decision making at the local level uh, is so important and how different your community is to uh, a different municipality in a different district. So overall, I think that's a, that's a good conversation to always be checking in with your legislators about. Great, that's a good point, Jen. Thank you very much. All right, I think that's everything. Thank you again to our guests, uh, uh, Kelly Rose from Mishta, Shannon Draham from the League, and then Rod Taylor from the Michigan Department of Treasury. I appreciate you guys very much. And to our Lansing team, thank you. And until uh, next time, we'll, we'll see everybody. Thank you very much. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mnl.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.